Good morning, everybody. Good crowd today. We were kind of expecting to be a little down. We might be a little down, but you guys are here. It is good. It, is, it feels full. That's awesome. Uh, continue to pray for people in Haiti and the people in Oklahoma City. Also, if you are new here, we have a gift for you. All you have to do is bring your Connect card to either the children's check-in or the Connect table, and they would love to tell you a little bit more about the church or just get your gift and you can go. Um, so, there you go. The other little business thing I want to talk about, just because I'm a proud daddy, is uh, the artwork done, was done for this series by my daughter Paige, and uh, I thought she did a great job for that. She's not here to... Uh, there you go. When she's here, then clap. And she <laughs> uh, all right, we are talking about Jonah, and whenever I think about Jonah, I think about drowning. Anybody else? Anybody else had those near drowning experiences? Well, I've had my fair share, and I was talking to my mom a little about this sermon beforehand, and uh, I was thinking, I don't know if I should tell you all these stories, so I'm just going to tell you about one. And was in college, one of my friends in Peoria, Illinois, decided to have a big pool party on a hot summer day, much like today. So there's the setting. I drive up to Peoria, and they've got one of these in-ground pools, you know, kind of with the real deep, deep in, and the, like the two-foot shallow end, you guys know what type of pools I'm talking about. So I'm having a good old time, I'm jumping off, and the diving board, and lo and behold, I have a trick shoulder, and I get up in the air, and I'm flailing my arms, and my arm dislocates at the top of my jump, and as I'm going down, I'm thinking, this, this could be no good. This could be very bad. I hit the water, and the next thing I know, I sink right to the bottom. And I'm looking up, and I'm, I remember this like it was yesterday. I'm looking up, and I'm thinking, how in the world am I going to get out of this? Because I mess around a lot, and my friends, you know, they don't take me all that serious. And I'm thinking, I'm going to drown at the bottom of this pool, and, and they're all going to think that I'm joking about this whole thing. This is not good. And I'm starting to get a little nervous, I'm starting to get a little worried, but I also know if I panic, things are going to go from bad to worse really quick. I was a lifeguard for years, and, um, and so I know, you know what's going through my head is how do I get out of this situation. The next thing I realize is there were people behind me on that diving board. And I see people from the eight-foot section of that sitting on the ground, dropping into the pool, and I'm thinking, well, that could be no good, too, because if somebody lands on me, that's, that's bad. I'm starting to run out of breath. And then it hits me. You know what? I still got three other limbs. I could probably swim. Pretty good swimmer. And then I'm thinking, okay, I've got my plan. I could go for the I could go for the ladder on the defense side. The ladder is it, lots of people are there. I don't really want to deal with people because I don't think they're gonna help me at first. So I, I shoot for the I start swimming, one arm like this trying my hardest, kicking my legs up. And I remember kind of just, they had that real long incline on those pools, and I'm doing my best just to kind of edge my way up. And I finally get over that lip, and I try to stand up. You know how hard it is to stand up in a pool with only one arm? <laughs> I, eventually, I get to the stairs, and I kind of and I sit down, and my arm is hanging down from its socket. My friend Stephanie walks over, and I say, I think I almost drowned. And she says, oh, <laughs> now she did help me out of the pool and, and, and I was okay and I'm still here today so I, I, I'm going to die spoiler alert right there um, but when I think of Joe and I think he was probably much more terrified than that right kind of where we're at in this story 
And when I was doing the research for this story, first and foremost, this, this has been probably more fun for me researching a topic than I've ever had. I've learned all sorts of different things about Jonah that I never thought. It's one of the stories that you think you just know, right? Well, if you grew up in church, hopefully that I can give you something kind of a little new today. But one of those things that was kind of brand new for me, which shouldn't have been, is that this story is a little unbelievable, right? I... It never really dawned on me, because I've known the story forever, that this could be a story that there are people out there that don't believe that maybe he was swallowed three days in a belly as well. Um, but here's the deal. I, I'm not going to try to explain how it happened, because I really believe it's a miracle, and I'm not one that can explain miracles. And I know for someone that's questioning faith, that might be kind of hard, and I get that. But if you are a Christian... I do want you to understand that Jesus believed this to be true. He said in Matthew 12, 40, he said, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man was three days and three nights in, in earth. All right, so Jesus believed this to be true. And also, if you're a Christian, sometimes, like the video at the very, very beginning of the service, it talks about how sometimes we lose vision of grace and we lose vision of some of the most important things. I am reminded, once again, of how big of a deal it was that Jesus Christ came and saved our lives. How big of a deal it is that the God of all creation would become a human, he would die, he would be in the earth for three days, he would be resurrected, and he'd do all of this, not only to save us from our sins, but also so that we could come before our God and we could know him better and we could become adopted children of our God. How much bigger of a deal is that than some guy being in a whale for three days? Amen? Much bigger deal. So, if you're a Christian, I would say that this story really should be pretty easy to believe, but if you're, you have trouble with it, I understand. I get that. So, where are we in the sermon? If you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to check out Brian Fake's sermon. It was a great sermon last week, and he talk all about chapter 1. I'm also going to kind of overlap a little bit with him because what happens in chapter 2 is really determined by what happened at the end of chapter 1. But just to catch everybody up, we have Jonah. He's living in Joppa. we got a map up here, I think, that uh, Brian's going to show us here in a little bit. He's a Jewish guy. God tells him, I want you to go to Nineveh. He doesn't want to go to Nineveh. Nineveh at the time was in the Assyrian Empire, and the Assyrian Empire was the big dog on the block. It was it was kind of like the major player in the world at that time. Nineveh was the capital of the city. Big, big town. God says, Jonah, I want you to go there. If you would have gone there, it's kind of modern-day Iraq, where I talked about how it was kind of ISIS. Kind of all the same area, kind of all the same thing. Um, Jonah says, no, I do not want to go, so he books passage to Tarshish, which is kind of Spain, Rocket Gibraltar type area over there. So he gets on this boat, and this is where we're going to kind of start our story. He gets on the boat, off the Tarshish they go, and then what happens? What happens? Big storm. You guys, we can be a little interactive. That's alright. We're, we're a smaller group today. So what happens? Storm. Big storm. It's awful. It's terrible. It, the storm gets so bad that the sailors realize this isn't just any ordinary storm. This is a storm that surely there is somebody that the gods are not happy with. So they're trying to figure it out. They're trying to fight the storm. 
And eventually they come to Jonah and they say, do you know anything about this? And what does Jonah say? He says, sure I do. You know, I, I, I think this is all my fault. And then the sailors say, well, what are we supposed to do with you? Now, I think they ask this because if they know that the gods notice Jonah, they're terrified to do anything to him because if they do anything to them, then the gods might even be madder at them. Make sense? So they say, what should we do to you? Now, if I was Jonah, this is the answer I think I would have given. Okay, so what's Jonah supposed to do? Where is he supposed to be going? Nineveh. Nineveh. So it would seem to me the obvious answer would be, hey, let's turn the boat around and let's go to Nineveh. Right? Well, Jonah doesn't say that, does he? Jonah says in verse 12, pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied. It will become calm. I know it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. So Jonah, he owns his responsibility. And what do the sailors do? Overboard. Into the sea you go. Now, this is one of those facets of the story that I overlooked. What was the sailors' response after they throw him into the sea? The sea becomes very calm. The storm stops. What is their response? It says, in verse 16, it says, At this, the men, the sailors, greatly feared the Lord. And this is capital L, Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Why is that such a big deal? It's because this is the Lord of Jacob. This is the God that we worship. I find it so interesting that here is a prophet in Jonah that wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing. And yet, the people that surround him, the people that don't know God, what ends up happening? They end up knowing God. It's like, despite what Jonah does, people still come to know God. And I'm, it makes me want to pray. See, the sailors are doing what Jonah should have been doing at the beginning. So, why do you suppose Jonah wanted to be thrown into, into the sea? Well, it could be because he wanted the storm to stop. But it's because, I think, he knew he was going to die. And I believe that Jonah basically saying to God I would rather die than go to that place I don't want to go to Nineveh no matter what so throw me overboard so he's thrown overboard he's sitting in the water the sailors may have thrown him some debris maybe a little uh, life preserver he may have been a great swimmer he may have not been a great swimmer but at this point Jonah's thinking it's done, it's over I never have to think of Nineveh again, right? Until he sees the shadow. And can you imagine seeing the shadow of a great fish underneath? I wonder. I wonder if it swam underneath him and kept swimming underneath him and kept swimming underneath him and kept swimming underneath him. And we have this vision of this type of fish normally, kind of the old Geppetto Pinocchio whale, and to see that whale would have been terrifying in and of itself. But I wonder if maybe the fish look a little bit more like this. Can you imagine seeing that fish underneath you? Now, here's a little little uh, plug. This this is from Jurassic World when I saw that for the first time. I was thinking, hey, I wonder if that was the fish that 
We will be watching Jurassic World on June 25th at the Faisi Building, Outdoor Theater. We did it a couple weeks ago. It was lots and lots of fun, so I'd encourage you to come out for that as well. So that's June 24th. We will be watching that movie. So you can think of Jonah at that time as well. So this, this great fish comes, and I'm, this is all speculation here. But I wonder if it was going through Jonah's mind, and I wonder if he's actually kind of got a sense of humor about it now. He's probably thinking, you know what, I wanted to stay in Java. I wanted to preach to the people I knew. That didn't happen. So I got on the boat, trying to go to Tarshish. That did not happen. You know, I honestly thought I would die and they would drown me. That's not going to happen. Here comes this fish. This is going to be even more unpleasant. We don't know exactly what the mind of Jonah was, but we do know the mind of God at this time. See, in verse 17, it says, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. God provided this fish because God was pursuing Jonah the entire time. From the very beginning, God is saying, I want your attention. I want you with me. I want you to come along. And, and I wonder through this storm if maybe this fish had been swallowed, been following the boat the entire time. But there's some people that believe that God actually made the created the fish right then and right there for this purpose. To swallow up Jonah. And if that's the case, maybe the story even got just a little harder to believe. Now, I've got a question to ask you. God provided this fish to do what to Jonah? Swallow. Okay, did you say swallow? Yeah. All right, well, biblically speaking, you are correct. All right, but I want us to take a little bit different angle. This is the angle that Brian talked about last week, and if you take a picture of that, you will know the answer. God provided the fish to, I hear people say, to save Jonah. God gives second chances to people who don't always want second chances. God pursued Jonah when he did not want to be pursued. And isn't it kind of funny that, that Jonah hated the Ninevites because they didn't follow God? And what is Jonah doing this entire time? He's not following God. Jonah, you, God used this fish to save Jonah. God's salvation doesn't always look the way we think it's going to look, correct? Sometimes God's salvation looks terrifying. Sometimes God is saying, you need to look back at your past. And you need to deal with your past because that is the only way you're going to be saved. Or maybe God is saying, you need to give sacrificially. Because until you start giving sacrificially, you're really never going to know freedom. Or maybe he's saying, you need to take a risk. You need to get out of your comfort zone. You need to go on a mission trip to Haiti. Because that's the only way you're going to gain a new perspective of the situation that you're in now. Jonah got caught, didn't he? How do we respond when we get caught? Because everything hinges on how we respond when God catches us. Now let's look at how Jonah responded. First of all, how long was he in the whale? 
Three days. It kind of leads you to believe that maybe he didn't start praying for three days. Now, I myself would think that I would pray as soon as the whale started swallowing me up, right? But, to be honest, how many times do we rely on ourselves? And we think, I got myself into this mess. This is just the way it is, right? But for three days, God was working on Jonah's heart. And I think this prayer is an indication that Jonah's heart was starting to break. Jonah was finally starting to get it. That Jonah was finally understanding the grace he needed, just like the Ninevites needed. So we're going to read in verse 2. It says, in my distress. And this was the distress that Jonah caused himself, right? He says, the distress I called the Lord, and he answered me. From the deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All the waves and the breakers swept over me. I had said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, and the deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. How about that vision? The roots of the mountains I sank down, and the earth beneath me barred me forever. But you, Lord, brought me life up from the pit. Jonah's response wasn't of anger. Jonah's response wasn't of depression. It wasn't of silence. What was it of? It was of repentance. His response was of surrender. And I think it's incredibly important for us to understand that God is offering Jonah salvation. God is trying to save him. And how often do we hear that, you know, God's just, people say that God's just punishing me, or people think that the God of the Old Testament is this vengeful and he's this spiteful being that's just trying to be the police officer on Fizy Road that's just always trying to catch people, right? <laughs> That God is just trying to punish and punish and punish. But that's not God at all. That's not the God of this story. I think so many times that the way we view God says more about ourselves than it actually says about the true God that we worship. Anne Lamott says one of our great favorite quotes of all time. She says, you can safely assume you've created God in your own image but it turns out that he hates all the same people that you do. Mm. <laughs> and that's why I love the story of Jonah, because we see a God of second chances. We see a God that, that is not this vengeful God. We see a God that's not trying to punish Jonah, but a God that's trying to get his attention. And bottom line, Jonah recognizes this. And he prays his prayer of thanks and repentance, and his heart is broken, and he turns to God for help. Dave Stone, he's a pastor in Louisville, Kentucky, and he coined this phrase. He says, who you run to is more important than what you run from. Who you run to is more important than what you run from. Where did Jonah pray this prayer? Where was he at this time? In the whale. He's in the belly of the whale. And what's he talking about? He is talking about how God has saved him. Has God delivered him yet? 
Well, he hasn't delivered his life yet, but maybe in a sense he actually has delivered it because God has broken through and he's changed his life. I believe there's some faith, though, in Jonah's part where he says, But you, Lord, you brought me life up from the pit. From the pit. Jonah begins to understand his own salvation. And it seems that he begins to understand that God is showing him grace as well and it's how much that Jonah needs to show the grace that God's wanting to show the Ninevites. And when we understand how loving, how gracious, and how understanding our God is, it changes how we deal with sin. So how do we see God? Do we see God as this God that is this punisher? Or this God that's been pursuing us and pursuing us and pursuing us? Jonah knew of God's graciousness. That he didn't realize he needed that grace until he was in the belly of the whale. And maybe you're in the belly of the whale. Maybe you're in a time in your life where you're stuck. Maybe you're in a time of your life where nothing's going right. And you know whose fault it is? It's your own. And when I get that way, I'll be honest. I don't want to turn to God at this time. Now, if something that's bad happened that's outside my control, sometimes that's very easy. But when I know it's my fault, I have a harder time. But what does Jonah do at this point? He cries out to the Lord. Now, this is this is the Lord our God. This is the creator of everything. This is the person that has given the earth. The, ourselves, this is the, the God of everything. He cries out to this God and you would think that there is no other God, no other being better to cry out to, right? And this is the God we can cry out to as well, but we can cry out just a little different. Paul writes about this in Romans 8.15. He says, the Spirit, this is the Spirit that we have received, does not make us slaves so that we live in fear. Rather, the Spirit we've received brought about our adoption to sonship and by him we don't have to cry Lord we can cry what? Abba Father now many of you know what this word Abba means it it was an Aramaic word they say it meant daddy but I want to push that just a little bit further I think it could mean dad dad one of the very first words that an infant would learn that an infant would use it, if an eight-year-old would use it, it might seem a little strange, right? It's like they're trying to be cute, or they want something, they try to climb up to their dad's lap, and they say, Dad, But that's not what Paul is trying to get at. He's not trying to be cute. He's not trying to get something. What he is talking about is he's talking about the little bitty infant, the very first word he says, the wonder and the majesty. They don't want anything except what? They want their dad at. They want to wrap their arms around their dad at. And they want to feel him. They want to play with the hair and maybe tug on it. They want to be lifted up. And the little girl wants to see as her dad has seen. And that is the God that's pursuing us. That's the God that wants to have a relationship with us. 
And you might be thinking, Brian, that might be the case, and you know what, I can buy into that. But why would that God put us in the belly of a whale? Why would that type of God put me in the situation that I am? If that dad loves us so much, why would we ever find ourselves there? Well, let's go back 43 years, or for you it may be a little different, maybe more, maybe less. But that time where you are in this dark little place and you are extremely comfortable and you're warm and you're cozy and life is really good, you could never imagine it any better. Except then, your body starts contorting in ways you never thought it would before. And your head starts to, like, get crushed and a little misshapen. And the next thing you know, you see light for the first time. And there's a man there with a mask on and he's got big scissors. And this does not look pleasant. There are people all over the place. You see blood and you see gunk all over. People are screaming. He slaps you. Hmm. <clears throat> of course, it's your bird. Yep. Why are all those people there? This is probably the most unpleasant thing you've ever experienced in your life, if you ever think about it. But why are they all there? They are there for you, even though you don't realize it, right? Now, I'm not saying that every situation you've gone through is because God's, you know, He's put you there for your good. I, I don't know for sure. But I do know for sure, for sure, that God is there, that He is pursuing you, and that He does want your best in all circumstances, no matter where you're at. But there are many where God's put you there purposefully, just like Jonah, because he's trying to get your attention. So, who you run to is more important than what you run from. Are you running toward your God? And you might say, well, you know, I've heard that God's, God is a heavenly Father. And fathers, to me, are terrifying. They're disciplinarians. And I don't want to feel their belt. And so, if I've done something wrong, I'm going to run as far as I possibly can. Or you might think, you know, fathers are, they've never been there. I've been there in the past, why would they be here now? You know, I've got myself in the situation, I'm just going to have to deal with it. There have been times, even though my parents are not this way, never were that way, but there are times in my life when I was a kid that I thought my parents weren't. Right? Anybody else you thought you were going to get killed by your parents because you've done something? Right? The, the case in point, uh, when I was six, year old, six years old, my parents had just had my baby sister, and they had this little crazy baby scale. You press down on it, a little wire, a little hand would go this way, and so I'm on the counter, and I'm doing this, and doing this, and my mom had just gotten a brand new glass vase. You know where the story's going, right? So, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing this, and my mom comes by, and she says, you need to stop that, you're going to break something. I was like, alright. She leaves the room. 30 seconds later, probably wasn't 30, I think it was like 5 seconds later, I break the vase and the scale. It's all destroyed. I thought my parents were going to kill me. I thought it was the vengeful what they did to me? I have no idea. I don't think they punched me. I think they tried to fix it all. They, they cleaned up the mess. They showed me grace. But I continue to think this all the time. I think that even though they've consistently shown me grace, there's still times that 
things are going to be terrifying. All right. Let's fast forward 10 years. I get my driver's license. The argument could be made that I was the worst driver in my family. I, uh, this probably doesn't give you guys a... Uh, doesn't feel good about what I take your kids to the youth group after a year of the story, but uh, uh, I've gotten better, all right? No one no one in my family had ever gotten a speeding ticket. No one. My parents had never gotten a speeding ticket. No one had been in an accident. None of these things, all right? But there was one. There was one cardinal rule in the Heinrich household. One cardinal rule that you never, ever, ever wanted to break. And that was get insurance rates to go up. All right. That was as long as as long as you did it, you know, whatever. But you do not do that. That was a big, big deal in our family. So, three months into my license, gets what happens? First speeding ticket. All right. First person in the family gets speeding ticket. That in itself made me a better driver. So, kind of thankful for that. But from that point on, you don't know how many things I backed into. How many times? I'm not full proud to say this. My car rolled down a hill, and I had to chase after it because it was going to hit either a house or the ditch or another car. may have happened more than once. We won't say how many times. Uh, this, I'm going to college. First for our family. I'm driving along, and I'm talking, and I'm singing, and I'm having a good time, not paying attention like I should before cell phones, so I wasn't texting. I ran right in the back of somebody. First thing that goes through my head is insurance rates. They're going to go up, and I don't have, I'm going to have to pay for their car, and I have to pay for my car out of pocket because we don't want to blame it. And so I call my parents, and I'm like, all right, I'm in an accident. You know what the first thing they said to me was? Are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? Exactly. It wasn't about insurance rates. It wasn't about, you know, how much money we're going to have to spend. Yeah, shared experience. Because I viewed them all, even though I do better. So here's my point. How do you see God? Do not understand that our God is a God that's trying to get our attention, and He's pursuing us this entire time. So we may see God, wrongfully so, as that Father that's just trying to punish us. Or we might see God as a God that just really doesn't want anything to do with us. And, you know, we're in the situation, get yourself out. No, we have to see our God as a God that pursues us, a God that loves us, a God that wants us to hear, say, you're my dad, dad. And he wants us to wrap our arms around his neck and become better. That's the God. Stand with me, please. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you are a God that pursues us, you are a God that gives us second chances, that you are a God that we can come to on a personal level. And I ask you right now that you keep reminding us that. And also, if we find ourselves in a situation, there are people out there that might find themselves in a situation like that right now, that we don't run from you, we run to you. That's in your son's name we pray. Amen.